0: Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they receive received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees it secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you. Ooh. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, hey, y'all. If we uh, haven't met, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name's Arnold. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I'd love to, to meet you afterwards. Um, we are in this series, if you're just joining us. Sorry, I, I, didn't, mic, I didn't have a time to mic check beforehand, so we'll sort it out. Uh, but if, we, if you haven't been around, we're in the series called Formed, uh, where we are discovering or rediscovering uh, some uh, patterns of living, some practices, uh, some ancient practices uh, that help us to be formed as the people of God. Uh, We've argued all throughout this series so far is that we're all being formed, we're all being shaped into an image of something or someone. And the question is what image or uh, uh, what ideology or what someone we're being formed into. And so this series has been about learning a whole new level and a depth of freedom through practicing the way of Jesus. Because what so kinda often happen when we start to speak about disciplines and structure and habits, uh, it, it, the idea is that it's restrictive. Uh, but this is more, much more about freedom. This is what uh, Paul tells the Corinthians. Uh, he says, now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so wherever God is present, he brings freedom. He brings true freedom, not the freedom that the world or the culture may offer us, uh, which in the end is a deeper type of dehumanizing slavery. Rather, the freedom that God offers is a true freedom that is found when we make space for God. And it's a freedom because we're being who we're supposed to be. We're being who God has created us to be. And we do that as we make space for God, not just on Sundays, but in the depth of our rhythms and our habits and our routines. And so formation happens as we behold, as we see, as we look at the glory of the Lord. It doesn't happen uh, just by adopting new practices and habits, but it will not happen if we don't adopt new practices and habits. I love the way that author Adele Calhoun puts it when she says, step back from the busy. And it's not just step back from being busy, uh, but it's step back from the busy, And we know the busy. The busy is just this ambient busyness with which we live. Uh, This ambient idea that when we're busy, we're important. Step back from that and make some space for God through spiritual practices. A spiritual practice isn't magic. It won't change you by itself. But it puts you in a place to partner with the Holy Spirit to become an ever-fresh icon of Jesus, a symbol of Jesus, an expression of Jesus in the world. So the practices themselves, itself, doesn't change you, but the practice is like a vehicle that puts you in a position to allow yourself to be changed by the Spirit of Christ. Because, we've said this over and over again, that because what we we look at will shape our imagination, what we spend our time with, where, where we place our attention, where our eyeballs go forms our imaginations. And discipleship isn't just about our minds or what we do, but it's about the deep recesses of what we think, our imaginations below the surface. Because we know that our imaginations, they give birth to our desires, what we want, and our desires give birth to our values, and our values drive and direct our choices. And what else is your life but the amalgam of your choices? We think that our life is something else, But what else is our life except all of the choices that we make throughout it? And so, as we inhabit these practices, what we're going to be doing is we're giving intentional and specific attention to God and his kingdom. And by doing so, our imaginations begin to be shaped by the kingdom of heaven. And and by doing so, as our imaginations are shaped by God uh, um, and saturated by his rule, our desires begin to become more aligned with his desires. And what we desire, we will value, of course. What we value, we will choose. And the goal of formation is this. The goal of this whole series is this. is for us to learn that we have a part to play in seeing Christ formed in us. And it's with that that we'll be exploring the most neglected practice today, which is fasting. And we're going to be taking a similar road to to last week. Uh, because, But because we're so oftentimes uninformed specifically about this practice, uh, we're going to be taking a little more, t- or misinformed rather, we're going to be taking a little more time to do it. So we're, we're going to look at what fasting is, uh, the reasons why we don't do it, uh, the reasons why we should do it, and uh, then I would just want to get real, at the end, real practical as to what we can expect as we do it. So what is fasting? Why we don't do it? why we should do it, and uh, how we are going to pursue doing it. But before we get into that, help me, help me to pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for enough health and energy to be here, Lord. We pray for those who are away unwell uh, or grieving. We remember our brother Adam now, even, uh, as he grieves the loss of his mother. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that you would be with him uh, and that you'd be with us. Help us to become more aware, help us to become more present of what you are doing. And we ask, I ask, Lord, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people and help me to remember the things that will be. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, and the church said, Kobe Bean Bryant. Some of you know the name. He is the second greatest basketball player in my humble estimation, only second to Michael Jordan. He was great because he put himself under a very strict regiment of training, some of the strictest regiments of training. Before passing away in 2020 uh, with his daughter in a, a very tragic helicopter accident, he uh, had an interview where he shared what his training regiment looked like. And he said this, he'd get up at 3 a.m., right? That's anathema. That's, that's, that's not... Godly at all. Uh, so he would wake up at 3 a.m. He'd practice from 4 to 6. He'd rest, recover. He'd be back practicing from 9 to 11, rest, recover. He's back at it from 2 to 4. He'd rest and recover. And then he's back at it from 7 to 9. And that's absolutely insane. You don't really find other basketball players doing this kind of regiment, but that is what won him his five championships with the Los Angeles Lakers. His type of work ethic that he had cemented him in the Hall of Fame. That's what made him who he was. That is what's called the mamba mentality. And you can dissect his decisions and that's fine. I'm not saying we all need to do that or or agree with uh, what he did, whether that was healthy or not. That's not the point. The point is that he was willing to forego good things, normal things, normal rhythms, like sleep, And normal times with the family and friendships uh, for what, in his opinion, was the greater good. He was willing to give up the good to achieve the best. He was willing to let go of the lesser to gain the greater. He was willing to sacrifice perfectly normal things to win the prize. And it's this very dynamic that's present in the practice of fasting. And so what is Fasting. Simply put, it's this. Fact, fasting is a practice of self denial, which itself, like the, the word self denial in our culture, in our age, is, is, is even wild to mention. How dare you ask me to deny myself? But fasting is a practice of self denial where we give up normal necessities in order to intentionally commune with God, particularly through prayer. And the desire that drives the practice of fasting is our letting go of an appetite in order to seek God and seek God's will for ourselves, others, and the world. And so what happens during fasting is that our deep-seated attachments, which we all have, our deep-seated attachments, our coping mechanisms, which we all have, our cravings, they, they rise to the surface of our lives and they become now opportunities see we're scared of that we're often scared of allowing our cravings and our deep-seated coping mechanisms to come to the surface we're afraid of that but that is a gift to us it is a gift to know what's wrong with me right i i can't change i can't grow unless i know this And what fasting does, it allows these things to come up to the surface and it it turns them from something that we may be afraid of, something that we may be ashamed of, something that we may have guilt over into an opportunity for prayer, into an opportunity of actually communing with the Father. More than anything else, the physical awareness of emptiness. And listen, emptiness is something we're we're not used to, right? The gap, the gap between... Uh, our feelings of emptiness and and, and and satiating that feeling is very short. There, there's the, I mean, listen, I have, I have like a, a bag of trail mix on my desk right in that just in case I feel a little bit hungry. Like we just, and that's not bad. I'm just saying that we're not accustomed to allowing that feeling to do its work in us. It's a reminder, fasting, that Jesus alone ultimately And fully satisfies. But fasting, we know, is not exclusive to Christianity. In in today's world, it's not even exclusive to religion or spirituality. People are encouraged to fast for the formation of the body rather than their whole selves. Fasting has also become a a political uh, weapon, as we know, in the case of Gandhi. In 1932, he protested against the treatment of the Dalit people, the, the untouchables, and he received concessions because he fasted from the British government as a result. But the purpose of The fast, as a follower of Jesus, is not to lose weight or manage our hormonal imbalances or manipulate the government to act justly, even if all those things are good and right. Rather, this is the purpose. The purpose is to grow in our awareness of God so that we would be better able to follow him. That's it. It's to grow in our awareness. It's to wake up to the reality that he's ever with us. It is to to listen more intentionally to the voice of Jesus in your life. It is to give God our undivided attention. It is to join the long and venerable traditions of the faith of which we are all a part of. It is to partner with God for changed habits. It's to help us overcome addictions and compulsions and inordinate cravings that we have for the things of the world. It's to, to seek a special strength or power to persevere in a difficult season of your life. It's to seek a special wisdom when difficult and large decisions need to be made. It's to place ourselves in the position, in the willing position, to be transformed by the Holy Ghost as we attend mindfully to the Spirit's work in our lives and those around us. And while we may not see a lot of fasting in the church today in the West, we we see it all over scripture. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights, twice back to back, which is wild. Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Esther fasted for three days. Ezra fasted until they reached Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah also fasted for several days. David fasted, Daniel fasted, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. John the Baptist's disciples fasted. We find the early church fasting in the book of Acts corporately, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, when they needed to decide who to appoint to leadership. We find Paul fasting after his encounter with the risen Lord on the road to Damascus for three days and three nights, through and through Old and New Testament, and throughout church history, we find the people of God fasting. Now, most times fasting uh, was an individual pursuit, but other times you would find kings and rulers calling for an entire nation or an entire people to practice the fast. They sought God's wisdom and guidance through fasting. They expressed repentance through fasting. They mourned and lamented all things that are not bad, but they're just difficult for us in our culture to do. They expressed humility and submission to God's will. Rather than their own, they fasted to prepare themselves for spiritually important tasks. They demonstrated their willingness to depend on God through fasting, and now the question for us is, well, why don't we? Why is this not, I can, I can, I can, I can bet that for, for most of us, why is this not a regular practice that we engage with? When was the last time that we heard a, a sermon? On fasting when when was the last time we, we read a book on on fasting when was the last time we fast? have we maybe there may be some of us here who've never fasted and i say this not to shame anyone now i, I think there are several reasons why we don't fast but i i wanna i wanna name three today and, and i want to make sure listen i want to make sure from the top that this isn't to shame you i know for a lot of us we associate church with shame i've come here so the pastor can make me feel bad about not behaving throughout the week, about not doing what I was supposed to be doing. This is not to shame you. This is not to guilt you, but it's to bring to light the ways that we have gaps in our lives, in all of our lives. We all have gaps in our discipleship to Jesus. And this is to help us grow in the ways of the kingdom, to help us be the people of God. You know, Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, some of us will know it. Uh, it's called the Great Commission, right, where, where Jesus sends his people out. And he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the Great Commission. This is, this is Jesus telling you and telling the disciples, Now that I'm, go- I'm going to go away soon, now you go. You go and make disciples. And so we're called to go. But what follows in the text is what Dallas Willard calls the great omission. But we often leave out, which is this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Did you know that part of the mission of the church, part of all of our missions, is to help one another obey Jesus, to observe what he has left us in his teaching and in his example. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so each week, and you need to hear this, that as we talk about the reasons why we don't practice a specific practice is not to shame you. It is not to guilt you. That has, that has no place here. It is to help us close the gap between who we even want to be, right, as followers of Jesus and who we find ourselves being today. And so why don't we observe all that Jesus has left us is not to shame us, but to help us, to help close the gap between who God is calling us to be and who we find ourselves to be today. And is to pursue something called, and I know this is a dirty word for us, holiness. I, I know, I get it, I know. Especially, you know, if you haven't been around or this is your first or second time here, I know that holiness can be a very dirty word in our culture and in many of our churches. But let me remind you what the book of Hebrews says. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so with that said, where are the gaps? Why is fasting so abnormal to come across in the church today generally, but in our community specifically? I want to give you three reasons. First, we don't fast because of our context. Second, we don't fast because we're too comfortable. And third, we don't fast because we're too competent. Our context, the fact that we are addicted to comfort, and the fact that we're far too competent to think that we need to fast. The first reason why we don't fast in general is because the context we live in, both uh, the, the general context of the world but more specifically our religious context, we simply, listen, we simply have not been taught, we, we simply, it has not been modeled to us That this is something that we should incorporate into our lives. It's a practice that for many reasons has just been overlooked and left unpracticed in the modern evangelical church in the West of which we are a part of. And what isn't actively modeled in discipleship relationships in our context will soon be forgotten and passed on. I learned barely how to ride a bike at 10 years old. Okay. I don't need anyone to feel sorry for me, I've been to counseling for this, but my dad, to just help us survive, had to work six days, I had four older sisters, it was seven of us, and so we didn't have much time at the park, right? So we had, the dad work six days, uh, half day on Saturday sometimes, sometimes he would take me to the park, Sundays we were at church, and so there just wasn't much time, and I remember one summer for a few weeks I was able to ride a bike. Not really well, right? I tried recently, I look drunk, I still don't really know how to ride a bike, So I I, I can't ride too well. You want to know what my kids can't do well either? Ride a bike. (laughs) They're 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 hopeless. Like Evie has one, right? Uh, But but it's it's not something we we value. Anthony is okay because his grandparents bought him a bike. I didn't. Uh, But uh, otherwise, we're not faring too well, right? But you have seen have you seen have you seen uh, Spencer Viglione ride his bike? I'm so jealous of this four-year-old. I shouldn't be jealous of a four-year-old, but I am. I mean, this kid is a, a monster on his BMX. Now, why? Why is it that this little kid, right? You can, you can, I'm, I'm angry about it. Why is it that he can ride so well? He's going to be famous one day. He can ride so well, but my kids are like bumbling forward. Why? Well, because it's just not in our context, but it is in his. My children are growing up in a context, and don't feel sorry for them, where bike riding really isn't a thing, and so it's not a thing for them, and it really isn't their fault, it's just what it is, just like it wasn't my fault when I was 10, but now I have no excuse, but that's for another sermon, the point being is this, the point isn't my bad parenting, the point is this, that the fact of where we live and where we grow up in, the environment, if that environment, if that context, if those people around us don't value something, we will not prioritize it. We will not think that it is essential for us because the context doesn't call for it. And what we don't value, we're not going to practice. So the first reason why we don't fast is because of our context. I want to let you off the hook. It's not all because you're bad Christians. It, it, this is just where we've grown up. This is the air that we've, we have breathed. This is the water that we swim in. I mean, I've been preaching for 15 plus years now. This is my first sermon on fasting, right? And so, it, it's just all of us. And so, the context that doesn't model fasting is one of the reasons why we don't, but also our comforts. We fail to integrate this vital practice into our lives because of the ridiculous level of comfort within which we live. We are a very soft culture. Again, not to, this is, listen, it's not to shame us, it's just to say we're, we're generally speaking, a very soft culture. We just are. We've become too accustomed to eliminating discomfort at its first sight. We, sn- we sniff discomfort. We've got to get rid of it. Immediately. There's a very short gap between someone coming to us with any level of distress and us hurrying them through. We can try to be, you know, kind of good present people. But in our minds, we're thinking about how can I solve this person's, How can I alleviate this person's discomfort. There's a very short gap between the feeling of hunger and our ability to satiate that feeling. And the thing is this, that comfort is not bad. Comfort is good. Uh, we're, not, we're not those people, right? Comfort is a, is a good thing. Some people would uh, lead you to believe that somehow it is bad or, or evil, but, but comfort is good. The problem is when comfort becomes the good. Capital G good when it becomes the lens through which we weigh up decisions, when it becomes the paradigm upon which we build our lives. And that's why those, particularly in sports, who can live with a prolonged sense of discomfort and pain are the ones who go further. This is why uh, uh, as soon as someone feels inconvenience in our presence, we need to fix it. A friend of mine uh, uh, has to put his car in the the mechanics for a couple weeks, and he's taken a bus, right, from Bankstown to Bella Vista. That's no, that's gross, man. Like, how, take my second card. Just take it, right? The, the, the first thing I wanted to do was just to alleviate his discomfort because we can't even stand to be in the presence of discomfort. And so when a spiritual practice comes around and it knocks on the door and begins to ask you, it says this, it says this, I want you to make yourself intentionally as uncomfortable as humanly possible as you refrain from food for a period of time for the sake of intimacy or direction, what do we do? We run the other way. We'll do anything else. We'll double our giving, right? We, 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 will, we will serve across several teams, right? We will uh, give up our cars for our friends, right? We will, we will read scripture. We may not obey, but we'll read scripture. We'll serve on hands and feet. We'll pray more. We'll try to make up our obedience in any other way. Jesus, I'm ready to Listen. I'm ready to listen to any other way that you can ask me to obey you, to follow you on this road of discipleship and formation. Any other way I'll do. We begin to rationalize it away. We say things like this. Well, Jesus never commanded it, which is true. It's very true. Jesus never commanded fasting. That's very true. We say things like Paul warns against ascetic practices, which is true. Read the book of God. He does. It feels legalistic to force ourselves to do anything spiritual, which can be true. And while Paul and while Jesus uh, doesn't command fasting, he surely assumed it. He just he, what we assume. We don't. We don't have to command. Uh, uh, while Paul warns against believing that ascetic practices in and of themselves sanctifies us, makes us holy, he himself practiced fasting in the right spirit. And while it can become a legalistic practice, where you begin to, to, to believe the lie that because you are doing this, God somehow owes you something, remember that, that grace is opposed to effort. It is, is, is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. We live in a culture that simply does not encourage us to fast, both wide, but also our churches. And we live in a culture that values comfort over intimacy, comfort over sacrifice, comfort over obedience, and, 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 and how, like, it's no wonder, right? It's like, it's no, this, this is no Scooby-Doo mystery at the end where we have to unveil why this is so. It's very easy to understand why it's something that we don't do, but finally, for that point, not for the sermon. I got like 13 points today. Our competence. We're far too competent to fast. We, know way, we just know way too much. Our context doesn't encourage it, uh, so therefore it doesn't model it. Our comfort is too cherished, but we're also far too competent for it. One of the messages that fasting holds out is that we are not enough. That we actually need something outside of ourselves. Uh, that we need wisdom outside of our what, because one of the primary purposes for fasting is to discern God's will for our lives and for major decisions. Fasting places our normal uh, needs on hold to better hear the voice of the Lord. And it can also be undertaken to prepare us for special tasks. It's something that to my shame, I don't mean this like I'm not carrying shame for this, but uh, uh, something that I wish I would have done as we planted this church. Something that I wish I would have called all of us to do as we planted this church. And we see this in scripture that Jesus, before the launch of his public ministry, this is the son of God, how dare I? This is the son of God who for 30 years, lived a quiet life, swung a hammer with his dad, Joseph, fasted himself, went to temple, memorized scripture, and before he launched out in his public ministry, he he gets thrust into the wilderness to fast for for, for, for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the enemy. Remember, Satan doesn't come to Jesus until when? It's the the very end. Jesus is already very hungry and very vulnerable because you can make some crazy decisions when you're hungry. This is why you don't go food shopping when you're starving. Don't do your groceries when you're hungry. You make some crazy decisions, right? Your bill, will will, you'll pay for it. But but we see this clearly in the early church, similarly, taking up the practice of fasting when big decisions need to be made, when something shifts in the culture of the church. But we don't need fasting. We have critical thinking skills. We don't need to seek out the present and living voice of the Lord. We have the expertise of the business world. Like I don't don't need to uh, to, to, to fast to to get the Lord to help me make this decision. I've got a pros and cons list. Now all those things are good, right? Like you, you, be, you better believe we don't check our minds at the door at this church. I love critical thinking skills. Ask all the questions, right? Like doubt is is, is not an enemy to fit Like let's let's wrestle with reality. Let's wrestle with the deep things of life. We're not afraid of that. I love critical thinking skills. One one of my one of my fears, and now I'm just like maybe I'm shouldn't. I'm getting vulnerable here, but when when one of the things that I'm afraid of as I get older is losing my, my mental capabilities. So I, I love thinking, like we, we should be critical thinkers, don't get me wrong. And sometimes we should make our pros and cons and sometimes we need to call in an expert to give us a hand. I'm not against those things. But when we're already not encouraged to fast by our culture and our context, when we're all too comfortable to do so, and when we're too good. At what we do, we fail to realize and acknowledge our true state of being, whether you are a Christian here today or not, that we are utterly and totally dependent on God. Utterly. We fool ourselves when we think that we're competent enough. And fasting is a way where we get to say that and experience that with more than just our minds and words, that we get to actually experience and say that Jesus is better than life itself. And so there are some real reasons why we don't take the practice of fasting, particularly in the church in the West. We, we have, it hasn't been modeled to us. We're too comfortable. We're far too confident. So therefore, I feel, I, I feel doomed preaching this, right? But there's more. I got more pages. We're not doomed. And so the question is, why should we fast? Now I can talk about many, many reasons why we should. Obedience to Jesus. And that should be enough. He assumes That we fast, that that we fast when he says, when you fast, twice in the text that was read, which we'll get into in just a moment. He just says, don't do it like a hypocrite. We should fast for intimacy with God. We grow more aware of him and our desires and wants and longings are shaped more into the image of his desires and shapes and longings. We should fast to pray. Fasting allows us to become more attuned to the needs of the world around us. We should fast to curb our appetites. Fasting can be a real training ground for you to learn how to say no to illicit desires because you've learned to say no to legitimate ones. You make decisions. Fasting is one of the ways that decisions are clarified throughout Scripture. It's a sign of repentance. Repentance is not just an internal reality between you and God. Oftentimes, uh, what what folks would do in the Old Testament particularly is is rip their clothes and, and throw ash on their heads. And this is why. We'll talk about this in a moment. But Ash Wednesday is coming up. And for some of us who maybe have grown up in more liturgical churches, you feel icky about that. But Ash Wednesday, all it is, is a reminder that you are dust and to dust you shall return. We should fast for so many reasons, but I wanna talk about one in particular. We should fast in order to deepen our awareness and thereby our access to the power of the presence of God in our lives. Mm. We should fast in order to deepen our awareness, right? So that's A, but B, also to access the power and the presence of God in our lives. Do you hunger? This is a real question, but don't answer out loud. Do you hunger and thirst for God? Do we hunger and do we thirst for God? Can we say with the psalmist this? O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I remember going to Jerusalem and, uh, and, and Jordan, and there's a, uh, if you remember, um, what's that movie, Indiana Jones, uh, the, the treasury, right, which is just a facade of a treasury, and so you, you go there, you have to walk about uh, maybe an hour and a half through this really uh, deep uh, ravine, and you go through, and, and it just opens up for you, but behind the treasury is this about three-hour hike up a mountain and where you can go, and the, the views are, I, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And so I'm going up there. I've got no uh, money on me, right? And people who I've just met on this, on this tour, like uh, uh, some, some study guides, some, some study mates. Um, and I'm going up the mountain, and I'm like, man, donkeys could, could really grab. Like, it, it was a dangerous trek. Like, donkeys were almost falling. out. This was a dangerous three-hour climb up a mountain. And as I'm about halfway there, I've got no money, and I've never in my life experience thirst like this. I mean, it was like 90. It was like what, 35 degrees in the Middle East in Jordan. I mean, I I, was—I honestly, I did not think I was going to make it, even with a walking. I had a walking stick. I was like 35. No shame. I had a walking stick, and I like—I have never in my life felt so thirsty. And then you kind of make a turn, and there's this—there's this guy there. This is Jordanian with a with a water cooler. he had ice-cold water, but I had no money. So a friend came and said, I'll I'll buy you some water. I've never experienced such thirst in my life. All I want is to experience that for God. That's all I want for you. Because that is the best place you could ever be in. The best place you could ever be in is the place that I was at on that mountain with, with no prospect and yet, you turn the corner, and, and there it is. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do we hunger, and do we thirst for the Holy One? And some of us may want to, and, and that's the thing. Some of us will be honest with ourselves and say, no, I don't, but I, but I want to want. That is a beautiful prayer that God always will answer. That is enough. That is enough. God says, to to want to want is enough. And then he calls us to action that. Now, I'm not saying that we are seeking and searching and hungering and thirsting for some kind of higher stage of Christianity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there is some sort of uh, un, 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 like hidden and unknown sort of path to a real Christianity. That's not what I'm saying because what so often happens in our more theologically conservative communities like ourselves is we're afraid of excess to the point where we starve ourselves to death. No pun intended. But we, we're so afraid of excess that we starve ourselves We're so afraid of protecting the the doctrine of justification that we never develop a proper theology of sanctification, of becoming like Christ in day-to-day life. When we move from death to life, when we go from being a non-Christian to a Christian, when we move from darkness into the light, the scriptures promise us that we are now united to Christ and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Everything that is Christ's, if you believe in him, is now yours. And so when God looks at you now, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Because when we are united to him, he takes our penalty. He gives us his righteousness. So the, again, when, 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 when he looks at you today, and I don't mean this theoretically. I need you to know that when he's looking at you, now I can't name everyone in the room because that would take me too much time. But he, when he looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son because he lived the life that you could not live and died the death that you should have died. That's being justified that is being made right with God, and now we are free people. We all have, listen, we all have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Spirit more than I do, and I don't have the Spirit after walking with Jesus for 20 plus years more than someone who may become a Christian right now. We're all on equal ground. The old saying is true that the, 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 the footing, the land at, at the foot of the cross is level. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, and we dwell in Jesus, and now therefore by the blood of Jesus we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We're all equal here. I'm not trying to get us to say that there's some kind of second stage to Christianity here. There's nothing more to gain. Nothing. But there's a lot more to access. There's a difference. There's nothing more to gain for you in Christ. You you have everything you need. Remember 2 Peter 1. God has given us all things for life and godliness, but we often fail to access him. He's always there. He's closer to us than we are to ourselves, St. Augustine said. That is just simply the blood-bought, heaven-won objective truth. But we fail to place ourselves in the posture to be aware of that and to therefore access that power that actually makes a difference in our day-to-day lives. Listen to me well. He is closer to you. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is closer to you today than you are to yourself. Now, that doesn't really make any sense, but I know that it's true. That he is closer to you than you are to yourself. But we fail to practice the things that place us in the position, in the postures to become aware of that. And therefore, to access that power for our day-to-day living. Listen, just about every single one of us can pull out our phones now and open up our banking app. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do that, right? Now, some of us may have a lot. Some of us may have afterpay accounts. No shame. We're all in different positions in this room. All along this large spectrum of what we have and what we don't have. Now, let's just imagine for a moment that every single one of our accounts were leveled. Zero. No debt either, but zero. No savings, no, nothing in your spend, just zero. We are all starting on the same level. Some of us will rejoice. <laughs> Some of us will be really sad. And that's okay. Then just imagine that tomorrow, $10 million drops into your account just like that. That's it. And every, every, every single person in this room... You got $10 million in your account. You know that it's there. You can pull out your phone and show people that it's there. You can prove that it is there. You have $10 million in your account and the bills start coming in. So the light bill comes in, school bills, electricity, water, car, petrol, grocery, sport, etc., etc. And rather than draw down on that $10 million, you go out, you go get a second job. You go, you go to return and earn, you take your bottles over there to see what you can get so you can pay your bills. You take out a second mortgage, uh, well, you don't have a mortgage, but you, you, you take out a loan up against your house so that you can pay your bills. But you don't draw down. Like, how ridiculous is that? Think about it. Like, how stupid is that? To have $10 million in your account and not draw down on it. We have everything we need. There's nothing more to gain. There's not more of God to gain. And yet, we fail to draw down. Why is it then that so many of us feel like we're stuck in the mud? Why, why is it that some, some of us are just spinning our wheels in the mud? We know that he's there theologically. Scriptures tell us that he's there Preacher even said that he's not only there, but he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. He's there. And yet, how many of us fail to access the power of God that will actually make a difference in your life day to day, on Wednesday, on Thursday, when you're facing that addiction, when you're facing that point when you could say something really sharp when you're at work? Well, why is it that we so often fail to access? The presence and the power of God. How many of us continue to go back to the things that destroy us? And this is all I'm saying. It doesn't have to be this way. It just doesn't. It it just, it just, so much of my time up here is just convincing you uh, of a few things. That, That Jesus is good and that you don't, we don't have to stay stuck. We just don't have to. We can change, we can grow, we can become more aware of his presence, we can become more of a force for justice in this world. We have the same access, the dynamic power, we have the same dynamic power that Paul had access to. We have the same dynamic power that Elijah had access to. We have the same Holy Spirit that animated Jesus' life and ministry, the type of power that would have us relinquish, relinquish our plans to God's. And we do this, we don't move on from our justification but we put it to work. And so this isn't about, I just so clear, this isn't about us getting more of God as if some of us have a little bit and some of us have a lot. This is about experiencing more of God. This is about accessing what is already truly and fully yours. This is about utilizing more of the power of God for righteousness and day to day living. This is about becoming more aware of his presence in your life. And this is what fasting does. This is why we should fast. Because I want to remind that fasting is a, a practice of, of self-denial where we give up normal necessities in order to intentionally commune with God, particularly through prayer. And so, almost done here. We don't fast often because our context doesn't value or model it. We don't fast because we're too comfortable. We, we may not fast because we feel we're too competent, but we should fast because by doing so, we're able to access and experience the power and presence of God in our day-to-day living for the sake of our joy and for the good of the world. And so the question is, how do we do it? And this is going to be real short. How do we begin to practice fasting? The first thing we need to realize is this, that fasting is both a private and a communal practice. This is, uh, 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 Jesus speaks about the, the, the private aspect and the heart that we have as we do it. This is what he says, and when you fast, not if, but when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you but notice the thing isn't primarily about the eyes of others but the heart of the one who's fasting when we begin any practice, in order for us to successfully integrate that practice into our lives, we need guidance. We need support. You, you can't. It's going to be very difficult for you to do this on your own. One of the things that we'll be doing in our gospel community, which is our, our midweek groups, is learning and relearning. For the, they're, and they're, not, they're learning this for the first time. But this is one of the things that we're going to focus on this uh, term, is relearning, learning and relearning what it looks like to practice fasting in our day-to-day lives on a regular basis. What Jesus warns us about here in this text is showing up to GC or church boasting about the fact that we're fasting. Sort of looking gloomy, looking tired, looking that sort of disfigured. And so as we begin as a church to learn how to do this, and we're all learning, know that it is both a both a private and a communal practice. But to get into the details, I want to give you two broad frameworks real quick about how to begin to fast and some very practical next steps. The first framework is this: is learning to fast according to the Christian calendar. Now, for some of us, we may embrace that. For some of us, again, uh, we may feel a little bit allergic to anything liturgical or sort of high churchy, uh, but the people of God tell time differently. They, they live according to a different calendar. This is for another sermon, but suffice to say that throughout the centuries, the Christian church practiced fasting together in the lead up to Easter. And this is a season uh, known as Lent that will begin next Wednesday uh, uh, on Ash Wednesday. And it was a time for deep reflection. It was a time for repentance. It was a time to, uh, to prepare our hearts and minds and bodies to receive the magnitude. I mean, how many of us get up to Easter, right? Like, this is the greatest and most cataclysmic event in all of history. And it comes and it goes because we fail to prepare ourselves. We, pre- we fail to prepare our bodies and our minds to receive we can't just rush straight from Easter into 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 uh, straight from Christmas into into Easter. And for forty days, not including Sundays, beginning on Wednesday, one way that we can learn to fast is by giving up something during that time during the season of Lent. It can be shopping, or chocolate, or sugar all together. Social media, coffee. Now, one thing is, parents, you can't fast from parenting. I tried, I asked years ago. That's just not an option. You just you got you, that's what you got to do. Lent, though, is about letting go of frivolity and embracing the spiritual gravity of our human condition and experience. It is, a, it is a downward movement of the soul. It's a turning away from self-sufficiency and sinfulness. It is a quiet turning towards humility. And so one of the ways that we can begin to fast uh, is to simply choose something, something that you may hold dear, something that is a legitimate uh, a desire or want, and you can say to it, you are a good gift, but Jesus is better. And so for a moment, for a moment, I'm going to give this up in order to attend to Jesus. And for forty days beginning this Wednesday, not including Sundays, uh, so you can have that said thing on Sundays, uh, you can abstain, you can abstain from that. The other way that you can learn how to fast is, is by follow is, uh, one way is to follow the liturgical calendar. the other way is, is by choosing one day a week to begin the practice of fasting. I've yet to find, a better guide than a book called Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster. And this is what he says. Allow me to quote Foster at length here. As with all the disciplines, a progression should be observed. It is wise to learn to walk well before we try to run. Begin with a partial fast of 24 hours duration. Many have found lunch to lunch to be the best time. This means that you would not eat two meals. Fresh fruit juices are excellent to drink during the fast. Attempt this once a week for several weeks, In the beginning, you'll be fascinated with the physical aspects of your experience, but the most important thing to monitor is the inner attitude of the heart. Outwardly, you will be performing the regular duties of your day, but inwardly, you will be in prayer and adoration, song, and worship. Every single time that I would experience these these hunger pains was a signal, not to focus on the hunger pain, but to focus on how I want to want God. In a new way cause every task of the day to be a sacred ministry of the, to the Lord. However mundane your duties, for you they are sacraments. They are a sign of the kingdom. Break your fast with a light meal of fresh fruits and vegetables. Don't go to the kebab shop straight after. And a good deal of inner rejoicing. Foster goes on in the rest of the chapter, which I I, I highly, highly, highly recommend to you, uh, to discuss what it would look like to move into a full 24-hour fast uh, where we are not eating three meals and progress even to a three, a seven, 10, 21, or 40-day fast. And now there is a caution here that for some of us, Uh, uh, um, for expectant or nursing mothers, for the uh, the elderly, those with diabetes and other issues. It's obvious that we should not fast in this way, but find some other way to abstain from things in order to attend to the Lord. And so I'm going to invite the band up because I'm almost done. And so my prayer and hope is this, that we would simply avail ourselves to the means of grace that God has given us. That we would avail ourselves to all the ways that he invites us to participate in seeing Christ formed in us. That that we would be everything that he's calling us to be. Listen, the world desperately needs deep people. The world desperately... Listen, if all we have to offer the world is just community, if all we have to offer the world is just ourselves, if all we have to offer the world is just sort of like a bit of Jesus wisdom light... We're not giving it anything. The world needs people who have been in the presence of God. The world needs deep people. So this isn't just about me and my relationship with Jesus. This is about our, 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 our witness to the world. If we remain like the world, we will have nothing of substance to offer it. So my invitation to you today is to enter into the joy and the pain and the process of learning how to fast. But we must do this together we must have one another spurring each other on the road and let's get after everything that the Lord has for us knowing this that God has not called us to do anything that he wasn't willing himself to do God has not called us to do anything that he himself I don't know of any other greater fast uh, abstaining from something than the second person of the Trinity coming down to us and putting humanity on his divinity and saying that for a moment I, I'm not going to grasp my divinity but I'll be able to let it go and now he invites us through the practice of fasting as he, he came to find us now he invites us to find him to know him to experience him to follow him to live out of the reality that he is ever present to us and so by grace and with his power and strength let's get after it let me pray for us father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you for your grace we thank you for your mercy we thank you that even as uh, there may be uh, some some guilt in this room lord i pray that you would remove that if there is shame in this room lord i pray that your blood would heal that and, and for those who uh lord are far from you maybe may not ready to commit to following you holy spirit i pray that you would open their eyes to see not not not, not the the veracity of what i said necessarily but the beauty of jesus that they would see Jesus, that they would know Jesus, not as a concept, not as an idea, but as a person, a living, breathing person. Jesus, would you be so kind as to reveal yourself through the Holy Spirit right now? Jesus, would you be so kind as to give us what we need to follow you and obey you? Jesus, would you be so kind to assure us of your love even now that there is nothing for us to prove. There is nothing for us to gain. But you're calling us to a deeper experience and access of the power and the presence of God in our lives so that we would actually change and so that we would actually be something that the world can look at and say, that is different and that is beautiful and I want to follow your God. So we thank you, Jesus, we love you, and we pray that you would grow in us more an an, an awareness and a desire, a want to want. Help us to desire you. That is our greatest, greatest good. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways that we celebrate one of the things I just said, the fact that God has come to us. Uh, is through communion. And so to my left and to my right, if you are a follower of Jesus, if, if you love him, uh, this is an opportunity for us uh, as we sing uh, these next couple songs to come and, and, and take the bread and take the juice and experience all uh, that God has for you with our taste buds. We thank you, Jesus. Would you bless this meal in your name? Amen. and Amen.